You know, having kids is a lot of fun. Not all the time, of course. <laughs> but a lot of times it's, it's a lot of fun. We have a two-year-old and a four-year-old son. And they're at a good age that if you say, do you want to play? It doesn't matter what you're playing. The answer is always yes. Yes, we will be there. Yes, we will play. And a favorite right now, especially of our four-year-old, is to play hide-and-seek. And, you know, in our house, there's not a ton of places to hide that typically when whoever goes and hides, they're hiding in one of, you know, five or six spots. And so it doesn't take that long to find them. And, you know, you could just play this for hours, just hiding in the same spots over and over again. But one thing that Stephen, our four-year-old, he likes to play hide-and-seek, but he doesn't think it should take that long. So if he goes and hides, though you may know exactly where he is, If you take too long to find him, he will help you. (laughs) He will start whistling. (laughs) And so you know exactly where he is. Four-year-olds are a lot of fun, but they're not great at hiding. They're not great at keeping secrets. So today, we're going to finish up a series called Words to Live By. In this series, we've been spending all of our time in the Sermon on the Mount just found in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And one of the things we wanted to do with this series is we wanted to, as Christians, focus in on a place where Jesus spends a lot of time teaching. Because we know that there are a lot of things coming at us in our world. There are a lot of people that say, this, you should live this way, you should live that way. We have a lot of our own temptations. And so we want to be the kind of people who are grounded in Jesus' words. We want his words imprinted on our heart so that when it comes a time we don't know which way to turn, we turn to Jesus. Because we know that his words lead to life. They are words to live by. If you're our guest today, we are so excited that you're here to worship with us. My name is Cale Courtright, and we hope that you have felt at home here at cross point we do want you to ask we ask that you be in prayer for our youth group this week they are at a camp in missouri so we want to be in prayer for them they had a safe trip yesterday but we hope they'll have a great week and safe trip back and we also want to remind you that our woman to woman program out in the commons is doing signups right now so we hope that if that if you are a woman here that you will take part in that wonderful program will you go with me in prayer before We launch into the word today. Father God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for your words that you've given to us. I thank you for your son Jesus and his life. And God, I ask that we will put his words into practice, that we will live out his vision for our life. We thank you just for this time, for your words. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Today we'll be in Matthew chapter 6. Before we get there, I want to remind you of when you were a kid. How formative were those songs that you sang as a kid? I bet you there are songs you learned as a child that you know to this day. For instance, Jesus Loves Me. We're not going to sing it. I will spare you from that. But you remember those words. And what better song to start our kids out with? There is almost no better song for your formation than Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. There's not much else that matters in life if you know that. 
And I don't know about you, but one of another song that was taught to me in my training to be raised in Christ was read the Bible and pray every day. I've known that song nearly my entire life. You know, in our tribe, we don't spend a lot of time talking about spiritual disciplines. In fact, I don't remember knowing that word till maybe I was in college. But when I look back, I know that's what they were teaching me all along, to read my Bible and pray every day. That these are the kind of things that Jesus expects for his followers. That as we mature and that we grow in him, we will be the kind of people who spend time regularly practicing our spiritual disciplines. And so in Matthew chapter 6 today, Jesus will address some of these practices. And he will address us as Christians and who we are and how we practice them. And one thing as we read this passage that I want you to be aware of and want you to look for is look for the word when. Jesus says when you do these things, not if you will do these things. He's under the assumption and he is teaching that we will spend time regularly practicing spiritual disciplines. And spiritual disciplines, you could define them as just practicing the presence of God or making ourselves available to him. And just like any relationship, if you value that relationship, you will spend time in that relationship. And so Jesus says, will you value your relationship with me? And how will you do so? So let's read together from Matthew chapter 6. We'll start in verse 1. All of the scriptures will be on the screen today, and we will skip around a little bit. But we'll start in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 6. And it reads, Watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need, even before you ask Him. Down in verse 16. And when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face. Then no one will notice that you are fasting except your Father, who knows what you do in private. And your Father who sees everything will reward you. See, here Jesus is again, as he does so often in the Sermon on the Mount, going straight to the heart. He's questioning your very motives for why you do what you do. Jesus Here isn't so much concerned that you look righteous or you look like you want to have a relationship with him. He's concerned that you are righteous, that you are pursuing a relationship with him. And I don't know about you, but I don't have a lot of experience 
fasting in my life. But even here, Jesus says, it's when you fast, not if you will fast. And we see in these scriptures, he gives the same repetition. Don't do as they do. They've, only, they've already received their reward in full. But practice in secret so that my Father will reward you. And I don't know about you, but I want the rewards from the Father, not from anyone else. We want to be the kind of people who are pursuing a reward with our Father. So Jesus asked the question here, whose approval are you seeking? If character is who you are when no one is watching, what does it say about us that we're obsessed with people watching what we do? And if you don't believe me, just go to your Facebook page later. Most of us know that this is true. We like it when all eyes are on us. But Jesus wants us to practice this habit of secrecy because our desire is not in the attention of others, but it's for a relationship with God. And so four-year-olds aren't good at practicing secrecy. They're not good at practicing this hiddenness. But that doesn't mean everybody's bad at it. So a couple years ago, I read this story about this town in Oregon. And it's a smaller town, and they started noticing something that was happening. Every once in a while, someone would find a $100 bill that would always be signed with the name Benny on it. So they named them the Benny Bills. They would find it in a box of cereal or on a shelf at a grocery store. And it seemed that everyone who received one of these was someone who was in need. They also started to notice that those who received it were the kind of people who would pay it forward to someone else. Well, the local newspaper heard this story and they decided they wanted to keep track of this. And so they put out a word, if you receive one of these, let us know. We want, we want to hear your story. At the time that they wrote the article, to their best estimate, over $60,000 had been given in these $100 bills around town. Nobody knows who Benny is. That is the kind of practice that Jesus wants for us. He says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing, as opposed to the pagans and the hypocrites who only do it for the benefit of others. He wants us to practice in secret. And we don't practice these spiritual disciplines so that others will see us. We practice so that we will see God. That is the point of spiritual discipline. And I don't know about you, but I go to the Sermon on the Mount in this series, and I hope these words from Jesus have been impactful to you as they have been for me. But I go to these words and I ask, what kind of person is this that Jesus calls us to be? See, we're all on a journey in our spiritual life. From this point to your death or Jesus' return, we are on a journey. And we hope to look back and see differences. And far too often I look back and I see I am the same as I was. But Jesus lines out here in the Sermon on the Mount a kingdom vision for his kingdom people. And he asks us, will you be that kind of person? Will you be the wise man who follows my words, or are you a fool? What kind of people are we going to be? I don't know about you, but I want to live into the Sermon on the Mount. I want his words to transform me, that I become more like how Jesus has lined out. See, the New Testament calls us to be transformed in his image. 
that we are being transformed in his image. How will we become those people? There is no better way than to become a prayerful person. We should engage in a life of prayer. See, dropped into the middle of this passage and the very middle in the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus gives a teaching on prayer. He says, when you pray, this is how you should pray. And this is what we find. It says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. A similar passage in Luke has this prayer, but following when his apostles ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. I'd love to be there for that moment, because who of us doesn't want the answer to that question? How do we pray? We want to know how prayer works, and if it works, if it's effective. Well, we know that when Jesus gave this prayer, we know that the early Christians took him at his word. When he said, this is how you should pray, this is the prayer that they prayed. It's not the only prayer they prayed, but we know that communally, as families and as individuals, they prayed what we know as the Lord's Prayer. Some of them would pray three, pray three times a day, morning, noon, and night. That they were a com- community transformed by this prayer. And most of you probably know that prayer, if not at least part of it. But one thing we find, I think, is freeing in this prayer, is that Jesus says, when you pray, you can keep it simple. It's not due to your eloquent or many words that that form an effective prayer. And really, it goes back to all that we've talked about, is that Jesus knows and wants your heart. He knows the heart behind the prayer. You can keep it simple because we can trust that God knows our heart and knows what we need. One thing you do see in prayer is that you know that God won't be manipulated. That God, as smart as we may think we are, God can't be manipulated. I don't know about you, but I was raised in church, and I remember after I became a Christian, I was in high school, it became, you know, who can can be a good prayer? Who's going to get asked? Who's going to have eloquent words or has many words to say? And I remember feeling sometimes like, I don't, I don't have eloquent words. This prayer is freeing to me because Jesus isn't asking for our eloquence. He's not asking for our many words. He's asking for our heart. God's not going to be manipulated, but we do know from Scripture that prayer is effective and changes things. Consider for a minute the story of Manasseh found in 2 Chronicles chapter 33. Manasseh was a king of Israel and he, and scripture tells us he was a bad king of Israel, as many of them were. He was so evil, in fact, that he brought pagan altars into the temple of the Lord, and it doesn't get much worse than that. He's so evil that God raises up the Assyrians to come and conquer Israel and to take Manasseh into captivity because God says he doesn't deserve to sit on the throne. And so Manasseh is in custody of the Assyrians when we read this in Second Chronicles 33, starting in verse 12. But while in deep distress, Manasseh sought the Lord his God and sincerely humbled himself before the God of his ancestors. 
And when he prayed, the Lord listened to him and was moved by his request. So the Lord brought Manasseh back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. Then Manasseh finally realized that the Lord alone is God. It's not that Manasseh manipulates God. It's that Manasseh's heart turns towards God. That here we see that God had acted and yet things changed because of the prayer of someone whose heart had changed. And so too we can be confident that our prayers matter. That our prayer is effective. It's not the prayer that is long-winded or and fancy words. It's the prayer of someone whose heart is turned towards God. That is who we should be. I love this quote from Pastor Brian Zahn that said, Prayer is not so much about getting God to do something. Prayer is more about learning how to be open and present to what God is doing. See, prayer, again, is opening ourselves up to him, to being present to God, to be transformed by him. That is who we are to be in prayer. And so what we see is that prayer is the central avenue that God uses to transform us. That there is no way before prayer that he transforms our lives. But to be the kind of people who pray deeply requires intimacy. And just like in any relationship, to get to a point of intimacy requires giving up of control, of submitting yourself to another. And that's what our prayer life is like in God, that we give up all control to him because we know that he is trustworthy. We know that he is worthy of our trust. And so God, so Jesus directs us to pray as one that is intimate with the Father. Because that's in fact how he starts. He starts off the prayer and says, if you want to know how to pray, this is how you pray. And you say, our Father. You get to go to God as a child goes to their parent. He said, that is the relationship that God sees himself having with you, is as a parent loves a child. And you know, when a child goes to their parent, we don't go timid, we don't go afraid, but we go with openness, with honesty, and with trust. Your children go to you like this, don't they? Again, I mentioned our our children earlier. Our youngest, Jackson, um, will eat pretty much anything you set in front of him. He, from, from birth, has been not a picky eater at all, much to we trying to point him in a worse way. But Stephen, on the other hand, is not that way. He is very picky. And his food choices are limited to like three. And top of the choice for him is chicken nuggets. You ever have a four-year-old that likes chicken nuggets? Well, that's, that's our house. And it's not just any chicken nugget. It's Tyson's frozen chicken nuggets. I mean, even getting him to eat Chick-fil-A was a chore. It's like, these are better, I promise you. He liked the fake chicken uh, that Tyson gives us. But. But you know, when he comes to us to ask for chicken, to ask for lunch, he doesn't do it in a long winded or eloquent way. He doesn't state his case about why he should get chicken. Instead, he comes to us as a child to his parent. says, will you please give me chicken? (laughs) 
Because he knows that as his parents that we love him. That we have his interest at heart that we know, he knows that we want him to eat. So he doesn't have to come as one trying to convince us. He comes as a child to their parent, just like we should go to God. So how do we take the Sermon on the Mount? Do we, how do we take this directive for our life? If you look at the Lord's Prayer, it's found right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. I don't know if that's a coincidence or not, but what you find in the prayer that Jesus gives us is you find themes that are found throughout the Sermon on the Mount. For instance, last week we talked about not engaging and living in a life of worry. We talked about focusing on today and letting tomorrow be tomorrow. And in the Lord's Prayer, we pray with our Father, give us today our daily bread. We have no need to worry because we know that God today will take care of us. We know that we are going to be people that are going to be pursuing righteousness and pursuing holiness. We talked about not engaging in temptation and cutting those sources out of our life. And in the prayer we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We want to be shaped by this prayer. And we also read in it about what kind of people we will be, how we will love others. Will we love people who only love us back? Well, in God's prayer, we read, forgive us as we forgive others. Forgiving is an act of love. And so we pray this prayer and we let it shape us to be the kind of kingdom people that Jesus is calling. We pray this prayer And we live a life of prayer so that we can live and become the kind of disciples that Jesus wants for us. And we know that this prayer transforms us to desiring his kingdom and not ours. His will for our life and not our own. We pray this prayer because we want to be one with our Father. And I want you to know that Cross Point is a praying church. That every week, and and in just a minute, we will do the same. Our shepherds and their wives will be around this room. That they want to pray with you. They want to walk with you with whatever you're walking with. They want to celebrate with you. Every Tuesday night behind that wall, our shepherds are gathered to pray for you. Because we believe in prayer. We believe that prayer works. I'm going to invite Brad and the praise team up here as we close. So we want to invite you to living and engaging in a life of prayer. Just like we read in the scriptures, we know that prayer is powerful and that prayer is effective. And we know that prayer opens us up to God, that we are being transformed by him. And so as we close today, we want to pray together. And so if you will please stand, we will close in prayer together. The words from Jesus will be on the screen as we pray with one another. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen.
Let's sing together.